0: I am Alana from Chicken House Press, and this is Writer's Chat. On Sunday, September 17th, about three weeks after the release of How to Make a Killing Jar, Ace Baker and I got together over Zoom for a live event. We opened the invitation for others to join us, so we did have a couple who popped on the Zoom with us. We had a great conversation. We covered some new stuff that wasn't covered in his last interview. There's some really rich things that he has to share about this collection. We are both so proud of it, so excited to have it out in the world. If you are a writer, if you have hopes of publication, if you have dreams of something bigger for your creative journey, this could be a really encouraging thing for you to listen to. There's just so much great advice and inspiration within this interview. So I'm not going to talk any more about it because you can find all the goodies right in it. So without any more rambling from me, Please enjoy my second conversation with author Ace Baker. We are here to celebrate How to Make a Killing Jar, which is Ace Baker's new short story collection. When you read the book, if you haven't yet, you will understand the butterfly motif that goes through the whole thing it becomes very important. I'm just going to begin by sharing a little bit from the press release to give you a little sense of background and of who Ace is. So BC author Ace Baker is stretching his wings upon the literary scene with his 13 story collection, How to Make a Killing Jar, a poetic, compelling, and sometimes shocking set of fables that unpack snapshots, both light and dark of the human experience. With stories that span the globe from Vancouver to Columbia, to New York City, to Puerto Rico, to Singapore, and more, this immersive assembly of settings and characters is sure to appeal to readers of all genres. As a high school English teacher, Baker is always reading, always writing, and constantly inspired by the students he gets to mentor. It was, in fact, one of his creative writing students who pushed him towards short fiction, pointing out that he had such good ideas for their short stories, and he should be writing his own. Diana Gabaldon, author of the hugely successful Outlander series, has said Ace's writing contains overlapping layers of depth and meaning. While the late Jack White, celebrated for his historical novel surrounding the stories of King Arthur, has said Baker's prose left me breathless and awed by the indelible images it thrusts into my awareness, terse, taut, and terrific in its brilliant intensity. With palpable settings and unforgettable characters, How to Make a Killing Jar is going to inspire introspection and deep discussion. So the book has now been out for, is it three weeks now?
1: Something like that, yeah. Yeah.
0: So it has maintained a spot in the top 10 hot new releases for Canadian short stories through that whole time, as well as sitting in the top 100 Canadian short stories bestsellers overall best sellers lists on Amazon so that's a, a big fun accomplishment so we're proud of that the book has also been nominated for the Atwood Gibson Writers Trust Fiction Prize so we eagerly await that decision um I think that comes later in the fall so Ace how do you feel having a book out in the world now
1: Oh, well, uh very excited to, uh, to see that um I think I think for me uh you know, there was a lot leading up to launch day and then a little bit of backing off as I started teaching uh, the students, another group of kids coming in. And it'll be a little bit sporadic that way, like another big push as I get closer to um, a writer's conference and uh, writing some articles and all that kind of thing. So I think there's always things to do, but uh, very exciting to have it out there. And uh, and thanks to you. It's a beautiful book. So. Um, yeah, happy to see it in getting into hands.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, very exciting to have it out there and hopefully we start getting some feedback. I haven't seen reviews posted yet, so I'm fingers crossed <laughs> that that is coming. Do some in.
1: arm twisting. Yeah, that's, I'll do some arm twisting.
0: That's a hard but, uh, thing to, to get people to do. So um, anyone watching this, reviews mean everything. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so when you read it, because you're all going to read it, Um, please leave a review wherever you want, whether it's at Chicken House Press um, or on Amazon, on Goodreads, just on your own personal Facebook page. Anything like that is a great way to support an author. So uh, you have some plans for this book. Do you want to share some of that?
1: I do. um, Well, because I'm a teacher, uh, I spent some time pulling from the stories and going, what could be taught with them and uh so each story kind of has a slightly different focus uh the ones we've chosen and uh so there's different things that can be taught uh with different stories so i was writing a workbook over the summer that's ready to go and uh the workbook's actually longer than the book so that was a bit of work but uh, my plan is to also approach teachers and say hey you know here's some stories here here's some work uh, that can go with it. They definitely haven't been written about all over the Internet, so you'll you'll know your students are using uh, AI doing the questions, doing the work, and so putting that out there. Uh, I've had a chance to write some articles, and uh, one is coming out in um, uh, BC WordWorks, uh, BC Federation of Writers uh, in October. Uh, a little bit about the book and a little bit about promotion methods and things like that so that's coming out and then i'll be doing a, a conference in uh later in october the surrey international writers conference so so i think it'll be like little bits of lulls, and then oh this is happening right now and then little bits of lulls, and 120 kids I'm teaching and then oh that's happening so it'll kind of be a little bit sporadic which I know probably drives you crazy but <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah no, it's okay it's where it's a partnership right we're doing this together we're both when when you're slacking off I'm gonna I'm gonna pick up the slack so yeah yeah we're doing it together yep. Great. nice yeah,
1: so I think uh, so I think just, um, you know spreading the word that oh there are teachable things here. Uh, in the workbook, I kind of uh, the very beginning of each part is separated by story. The beginning of each part, I kind of have an inside the writer's mind section where here was the spark. here was the essential question that led to the story. And then here are some things you could do with that story, or here are some things you could learn if you're a writer. These are some things I made use of in writing this story. So I think there's a fairly large variety of things to look at there.
0: Yeah. And you talked about wanting to share a little bit about some of those lessons about can do
1: well well yeah i'll i'll take my wife's advice she's like don't get so (laughs) writery on technique she said talk about voices uh because people know characters or people know people so uh, i thought i would share just some short excerpts to show different voices that show up in some of those stories if that's okay yep now doke. so uh first story i chose I actually chose uh, Cookie Monster. Uh, Cookie Monster, I chose because I'm from small town Saskatchewan originally, 800 people in my hometown. Very small town, very prairie family. People talk often and they get their words out quickly and make, you know, try to make themselves clear. But the voice in this story probably is like, my mother plus a few people in town kind of mashed together. And uh, so the voice is kind of small town Saskatchewan-ish. So I'll I'll read this little section coming from Cookie Monster. So it goes like this, but I do have another joke for you and I hope you don't mind. What do you get when you cross an insomniac, a dyslexic, and an agnostic? Someone who stays up all night wondering if there is a dog. I mean, Clara told me that one. And I almost split a gut. I mean, it was a real knee slapper. That's what I mean. No offense, because it's hard for me to think about what comes next. And so small town life, there's always stuff going on, it seems. There's always tragedy around the corner. So people love to like tell jokes, lighten the mood, even when they're talking about serious things. So and things like split a gut and knee slapper, that's right out of my hometown. Uh, So some of the kind of jargon that you would find in the small town. And then often that shows up throughout the tale as she's talking about kind of this gut-wrenching story uh, of her daughter, and um, so the humor has worked in a little bit to lighten lighten things up for her, make it easier for her to tell the story. Another one I pulled from The Killing Jar, I, I thought I would do a little bit of voice from there just because it's a long story, so I'm not going to read that one, but in this one, uh, there's without giving too much away, there's two girls uh, one has just been through a very traumatic situation. The other's trying to comfort her. And it's kind of one of those situations where words don't do much. Like, really, just be quiet and just be there for your friend. And so uh, initially, I had her try to say something. And then it became all about um, just being a friend, being the actions involved. So it goes like this. I just held her in my arms. I didn't know what to say, didn't think anything I said would matter to her at a time like this. I felt stupid with the next words I heard tumbling from my lips. Is is anything broken? Do you need a doctor? She said nothing, but just melted into me. I could feel her heartbeat racing the way mine was too. I did my best to suck in low, slow breaths, to breathe them out the same way. Eventually, my pulse slowed, and after a long time, I felt her heartbeat match my own, felt her breathing take on the same rhythm. I helped her to the bed. The sheet was already stained, so I didn't worry about making it worse. I found a cloth and ran some warm water, slowly sponging away the blood. I treated the scratches on her face, her back, as best I knew how. And then I just lay down beside her, giving her the only comfort I could. As soon as she was sleeping, I reached over to the night table, grabbed my science text, and slipped a large paper butterfly from between its pages. I tucked it between her fingers so that it would be the first thing she saw when she woke up. And uh, so I think, like just being there and the voice still comes through you still get the carry even though there's not a lot of dialogue so i think very often you have two characters on in a scene and you're tempted to just go flip 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 dialogue dialogue and there it just didn't didn't seem right it would be more show it through the actions um and uh and so i showed the initial kind of failure of the dialogue and then um it just breaking down into I'm your buddy, I got your back a bit. Uh, Let me see, I'll give you a a couple more here. There was one where I had to show a little bit of uh, pretentiousness. So in Don't Connect the Dots, uh, the characters in a museum, and there are always those people who try to show you what they know about the paintings, about the artworks. And um, so, you know, a little bit all that, right? So I uh, one little part here. One gentleman, who looked like he was dressed for the opera, approached me and said, Sunday afternoon on the island of La Grande Jatte epitomizes the neo-impressionist method, but also the post-impressionist aesthetic. I know, right? And as I shifted over away from him, this librarian-looking lady, complete with one of those chains that hangs from the ends of eyeglasses, Well, she nodded over to another painting, bathing place, and then she leaned in real close and whispered to me like it was a secret or something. There's a mysterious equilibrium between the eternal stasis of an Athenian frieze and the unceasing restlessness of a fugue. I forced myself to focus on the hard words anyway, but even when I searched them out later on, I still had no idea what she was going on about. And you know, I don't think she really did either. And uh, so just to show a difference between the character and the people around her in the the museum. And sometimes it's a it's a small part, but you want the voices to to vary. And then the craziest one is the last story. And uh, this one is really hard to read. My apologies. Um, it's going to be hard on the, the readers. Because for this, uh, you have to understand, my school has about 1,640 students currently. I see a lot of kids. I see many who have ADHD. I see many who are autistic. So I decided to combine them and have an ADHD autistic claustrophobic narrator. So in this story, I kind of played with structure. And at the beginning, the sentences are really long and rambling, you know, a whole paragraph that's a single sentence in a single breath. And as the story gets uh, progressing further, the sentences become a little bit shorter, a little bit shorter, a little bit shorter until the final end, which is a single period, a full stop. And uh, so so I'll read the first sentence, hopefully. Uh, This is hard to read, so bear with me here. But ADHD, autistic claustrophobe. A normal day for me starts out that way, you know, normal, with all the usual stuff you do, like what you do when you rise up to the sunshine, right? But it almost always morphs into something other than that for me, like today, I'm headed to the zoo, going to race right for the elephants, those huge lumbering grey beasts who are in no hurry whatsoever, like pensioners on park benches, and who need a lot of what I crave too, room but i forget that to get to them i need to pass the building that holds the snakes including the boa constrictors and one of their keepers is outside sneaking a cigarette how that smoke fills the air and must fill the lungs choke out the oxygen fill fresh spaces fresh places with bits of tar, making breathing just a little harder to do the next time. A little bit harder? And anyway, he was chatting to a buddy about something he'd heard about boa constrictors. And think about that name for a second, because we use boa to mean like a snake of feathers a woman might willingly wrap around her neck. And constrictor? Well, that's something that tightens, isn't it? Like a necktie. Yep, never wearing one of those, never ever. And the keeper was explaining why Boas don't suffocate themselves when they swallow prey whole. You can picture it, right? Some rodent pressed up against both sides of a snake's throat, if they have throats, that is. So how? And it turns out they can use different sections of their rib cage to breathe, depending where their prey is just swallowed partway down or being digested. And that breathing from the ribs makes me think of human ribs and how they cover lungs and how those lungs might have bits of tar in them and be carrying out a slow suffocation that lasts years and years and the problem is that humans can't breathe from their ribs now can we so <laughs> so that's the first sentence uh, it's crazy so he's kind of like just all jumbles and everything's in his mind oh you know squirrel moment here and there so hopefully that gives you little bit of a difference between some of the voices in the book. Um, And just like just like in the book club, sometimes certain voices come back in different stories. There's little links. You can hear characters who are similar. uh, But within a story, the voices definitely um, are distinct. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I don't know what you think about that one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's quite a feat to read that through out loud. I find it fascinating that because I'm not a short story writer. So I find it fascinating when someone can build a whole world in such a small space. Do you, do you find yourself fully immersed in this world and how, how does that happen so quickly? Or maybe it doesn't.
1: Yeah, I think, I think for me, um, imagery is so important when I'm writing. So When I'm writing, I'm picturing the screen. Like, how would this look on a screen? I know I'm not a screenwriter, but um, that's what I'm picturing. So what can people visualize? What kind of person would this appear to be to them? And so imagery is super important to me. And very often what will get me going will be something visual, like uh, for don't connect the dots, believe it or not, if if you read that story. Believe it or not, that little evil doll, uh, Chucky, that there was movies on and now there's a TV series on and books on and that kind of thing. But Chucky, that little possessed doll, was kind of the inspiration for that. I didn't want anything that was possessed, but I wanted something that was very familiar to people and usually a source of comfort I wanted it to be the opposite, not a source of comfort at all. So, I'm usually looking at an object, a painting, a photograph, uh, a something, and it will catch my eye, and then things will start going. So, so yeah, that's important to me that I can see it. And then you're right, full full immersion, and very quick first drafts. I believe in those. I teach that to to my students get it out on paper quickly, then go play with it.
0: So from first draft to a completed short story, what kind of timeline are we looking at? Or does it depend?
1: Yeah, it's tough to say. Sometimes I'll let something sit for a bit and kind of gel. So I come back to it with fresh eyes and go, what's missing? Um, So it's it's not a process where I would, work on something for a week and start it on monday and be done on a friday it's kind of usually the idea is picking away at me and i can't get rid of the idea and then i'll sit down and go okay what could the story be about and kind of come up with a beginning middle and an end of some type and then bang out a first draft and then leave it and go do other things and then come back and look at it and what might it need so it's always little bits and pieces over time and just deciding when it's time to let it go the only exception to that would be like oh writing contests that have deadlines (laughs) so then you've got that deadline and then it might be okay I'm gonna revisit it a little more quickly than I might usually but yeah yeah it's um ongoing even now I probably have I don't know, maybe six or eight stories in some part of the process was sitting there and um, just some I'll give up on. And like, no, this is going nowhere. And, you know, a few of those will will finally find a story.
0: Mm -hmm. And you don't find yourself getting mixed up between them like you can you can separate. Yeah, the reason that's
1: the reason I like poetry and short fiction so much. I find novel writing tough. I'm working on a couple novels, but I find it tough because I often have to put things down and pick them up again. And especially if I'm teaching, um, I'd be like, Oh, I have 60 essays to mark tonight. <laughs> That's what I'm going to be doing. And Oh, put the, put the writing aside for right now. So I think that makes short fiction poetry easier for me. It's hard for me to keep a book in mind and, then I would have to do so much reviewing. Where did I leave off? And kind of try to get back in that mode before continuing. So I, I think novels are, are harder while I'm full-time teaching for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I get into the fiction, I have a lot, because I teach, I have a lot to draw on there. So I kind of, I write it as a writer, but I look back on it as a teacher going, what is there? and you know yes i have the odd story that's fluff and escapist but else but most have something there that is um very very teachable so in the one of the things i teach my kids is onion layers we talk about digging so on the surface we talk about characters setting who what where when you know plot and then on the next layer we talk about connections what kind of goes together? What are some things that would group together? And then we talk about imagery and symbolism and theme as the deepest. And so so even in the book um club guide in the book, some of the questions like on surface, uh I think sixth one, sixth one deals with setting so that's a where and when and uh i said columbia and singapore i'm canadian so these exotic locales demanded research uh one which i did in person the other through reading um and it just talks about the setting so some of the questions in the book club guide are surface level character setting Uh, Some go into things like symbolism, like the crosses in Cookie Monster um, and how all those show up. And there's probably 20 different definitions of of the word cross used um, in that story and uh, used symbolically. Themes, like, um, I really like what you did for the, the back cover blurb. And at the very end, you said, the last half of the line was proving the world of fiction can unveil some harsh hard and sometimes humorous truths about the human condition and i think that's true throughout these stories we tossed the one story that didn't fit that thank you and that also goes to the book cover um when when we chose the book cover the one i chose actually alana kind of made that one she was like are you kidding me? She's smiling. It's by the ocean. She's She looks way too happy for this book. And so I think there were a grand total of maybe two images with this background with the dark branches of the tree behind her and her more serious face um, looking up. And so that was definitely the right choice. So I think, yeah, careful thought on how things are being
0: presented
1: in some places
0: i'm so pleased with how it came out really i already said this but really eagerly anticipating the feedback on the, on the book yeah
1: yeah yeah and i think for people too for feedback it's like you don't have to give feedback on the whole book you know if there's a story that caught your eye, say something about that story so that's the nice thing about short fiction you can pick it up and read a story and put it down it uh, doesn't have to be the whole book, so yeah. Hopefully, something there catches your right. eye.
0: <laughs> I I really believe that there's something for everyone, for yeah, yeah, for any kind of yeah. any genre. Um, there's really something that's going to connect.
1: Yeah, I hope so. And and for writers and teachers to like, for people who are teaching or people who are looking at their own writing craft, just to give you an idea, the When I said each story has a focus, some of the areas of focus I hit were paradox and contrast, uh, motif, voice, uh, sound devices, reverse stereotypes, irony, framing stories, uh, integrating poetry and prose, using real life experience in your fiction and how to play with that um outside interest connections and things like structure and pacing so there's there's quite a variety depending on what it is that you're playing with or what it is you want want your students or or yourself to see in a piece of writing so hopefully there's something that connects there for you if um you're looking for the guide um to help you out
0: and how are people going to find this guide?
1: Okay, so I was kind of focusing on writers and, and teachers because I thought, who's going to want to know the nuts and bolts of what went into this? So when I approach teachers, and, um, and that's my next thing, is reaching out to teachers at different schools across the country and going, here's a sample reading. I think I'm using my Singapore garden. And then here's the work that went with it. If you like, you know, if you like that much, then, um, you know, please order the book. If you order the book, please Elena, let me know if you see Big Order come in <laughs> and, then, and then I can ship out the guide um, to them for it um, because it is a lot like it's a there's a lot of material there and it's it's probably not the average reader. I mean, you might be interested in that too. let me know, send me an email um, but uh, um, but it's probably more the writer and the teacher um, who would be interested in that. So we'll see, that's the next phase of pushing out the book and trying to get it into into those hands.
0: Yeah, that's an exciting, it's an exciting way to market a book and to give it a new kind of life outside of just the reader experience. Cause I think it can add a whole other layer there's just there's there's so much that can be pulled apart from each of these stories, and so many lessons learned, and it's just yeah. a matter of getting yeah. it in people's hands. Yeah. and and having that's true. It. Yeah.
1: So even for even for the article that's coming out in WordWorks in October, um, in the article I said, hey, if you're reading this as a writer, email me. I'll send you the workbook, so that hopefully that gets it put in the hands of more writers out there too and i'll do the same at the writing conference when i'm uh, doing the presentations there it's like if you are interested in the nuts and bolts and what went into it you know it's my pleasure to send that to you so yeah so we'll see what people think
0: wonderful that's exciting
1: yeah you good yeah i think so i hope so yeah yeah, yeah i've uh right now i have about like I say, about 120 kids uh, that I'm working with. And half of that is um, pure creative writers. They've signed up for creative writing. The other half is like English 12. Um, So a little more academic, Um, but my uh, current students are working on poetry and magazine pitches. So uh, they're trying to get into that writing magazine because they're going to have a youth issue in December. So fingers crossed there. So I kind of get to play creatively, even in my job. And uh, I think That's that cool. helps.
0: Lucky. Yep. So many ways.
1: Yeah, it's quite nice.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Very good.
0: Okay. Um, would you like to read us one of the stories? I can do that.
1: Um, I chose, I didn't choose the story for any special reason other than it's the shortest one. Um, So you don't have to keep listening to my voice so much. Um, But uh, I chose Plow Break Soil. Uh, This is actually an important story to me because I can't remember if it was the first or the second uh, contest of blank spaces that I entered. And um, so that blank spaces whole contest uh, series kind of led to the publication of this book so i first tried one of the free contests that hit bronze and then tried another free contest and hit silver and then entered a fee you know pay a uh, contest and won the contest and that allowed uh, me the chance to get these stories in alana's hands and uh, so that led to the book so this was one of the stories that placed in one of the uh, free contests that I. Put blank space spaces on my radar uh, for the first time, and then Chicano's press. Okay, so it's called Plowbreak Soil, and again, this is a bit down home. This is maybe a little bit over the top, but it's it's a little bit you know down home Uh Mick learned back in '43 that there was nothing simple about the simple folk of Riverview Gap. He himself had New Year's for a birthday a horse horizon for a pet and a corpse for a father. His pa, Uncle Willie, to most everyone himself included, was laid up ages ago, the result of some stroke that had paralyzed him top to bottom. That left Mick's ma, Aunt Nell, to tend to a sprawling 97-acre hill farm in the boonies, along with five kids and, of course, Uncle Willie at first she did it all and did it well but when her right ankle stiffened up on her and never quite made its way back to normal the farm started to show the strain a walk into the barn was all it ever took to remind Mick how over time animals and objects could fall into damage and disrepair livestock skin and bones Tractor seats rusted, stalls that needed mucking, machinery busted, and all of it multiplying like the McKinley family of 17, their closest neighbors, a 20-minute drive away. Over time, Mick saw how rust and dust, pig slop and cow manure, broken this and rotted that, could slip on out of the barn and into their lives. He didn't want a speck of it. He wanted to ditch the farm and head over to some little town, one with more than a few people in it, girls especially. He'd find work in salt mines or coal mines or in nearby fields or wherever they needed young muscles and strong backs, and he'd make his way away from here. No kids, just a wife and a life and time left to enjoy it all. And that dream lasted right up until the year he turned 19. He was relaxing in a recliner in the sitting room when the doc came by to tell them about Aunt Nell's test results. Tumor's bigger than expected. Don't think I'd be making plans past Christmas. And he said it right in front of her, like she was some lame horse that would have to be put down. Nell just looked him straight in the eye, no tears, no nothing, and said, plow break soil so seeds can grow. And then she looked straight at Mick. He ducked his hands into his pockets and stared at the floor like it was the most interesting dirt he'd ever seen. Then he backed on out of that room and headed for the hayloft. He didn't make it nearly that far, not ten yards out of the house, He heard the groan, a long slow moan that sounded like an engine out of oil, right before it catches fire. Heifer laying on her side, Nell and Willie inside, and the other kids too young to be useful. It was up to him. Mick went to the barn, slid the door to the side, and lifted a noose of rope from a hook nearby. Then he made his way back to the mother cow. She's not asleep and dreaming, that's for sure. And he knelt on her back legs, pinning them to the ground. And he grabbed the rope and pushed it deep inside, real deep, elbow deep, looping it around the baby's hocks inside the mother, Once it was good and tight, he stood, keeping his foot planted firmly on the back legs of the mother. For what seemed like forever, he yanked and tugged, pulling up and over and back, and the legs of the calf popped out the backside, and he grabbed onto both of them and slid that calf out, slick as a whistle. The calf was fine, nothing broken or bleeding, but the mother was a mess. The heifer was bleeding out something bad and she wasn't moving anymore he took the rope off the calf and watched the baby take a drunken walk over to its ma then he turned away as the young one began sucking milk from the udder of a dead mother mick's own ma was staring straight at him now too hands on hips a huge smile on her face i know it's hard real hard she said wiping her hands on her apron like she'd just delivered the calf or something. Plow break soil so seeds can grow. And that was that. He'd proven himself useful. So this would be his life. Forever. With four little ones and an invalid to care for on top of it all. And he'd be an adult and all by then. So he'd be expected to grow up super fast. Don't think I'd be making plans past Christmas. So he treaded the long way out to the west field to mend some fences. And just after he'd tacked the barbed wire back to the first post, he turned around and Nell was there. He took a step back, tripped and stopped his fall by grabbing a handful of barbs. When he stood and pulled his hand away, blood streamed down his wrist, something awful, just like that dead heifer. And Nell looked at him and said, plow break soil so seeds can grow and she limped away at such a snail's pace that Mick wondered how she'd ever managed to get out there so quickly in the first place. All night, his dreams were mighty disturbed, and in the last one before he woke, he was kneeling hard on the heifer's hind legs, Reaching deep inside the cow. And she was bawling and she was screaming and blood was coursing out. And when he jerked his hand clear, he was holding a giant ball of barbed wire and it was tangled all around his fist and it snaked up his arm and over his shoulder. And then it began to tighten around his neck and he was gasping for air, pushing and pulling. And that's when he woke up and he was kneeling on Nell and he had a pillow pushed tight across her face and she wasn't moving and he had no tears no nothing and he said plow break soil so seeds can grow and that's when little six-year-old Lizzie walked in and as calm as could be he told her aunt Nell's not well I need your help can you go get something for me And she nodded slowly, and he said, That noose of rope hanging on the hook near the barn door, you know the one? And she nodded again, and headed out the door in her nightgown and bare feet. And he knew Nell's body would explain itself away, what with the tumor and all. But Lizzie's would be a tougher tale. Would there be an accident, or would he make certain her body would never be found? At least her trip to fetch the rope would buy him some time to think. A gunny sack of rocks, like what they did with unwanted farm cats, is what he decided on. That deep marsh, the one overgrown with weeds, the one no one in his right mind fished in anymore. And with tragedy hurtling around him like a hurricane, who'd expect anything of a boy who wasn't even an adult yet? And just like that, the winds calmed. The skies cleared, and Mick began making plans for well past Christmas. Plough break soil, he said, and he leaned over the other side of the bed and placed the pillow over his father's face. Pow, done. <laughs> so a little bit brutal. Um but uh but yeah, so now they understand the yeah, harsh, hard end. Uh, truths about the human condition yeah a little bit rough
0: <laughs> is that the roughest story in the book they they all have their no. own their own brutality really and, uh, I, mean, I think
1: i think there are some like that's pretty brutal uh that <laughs> one that one the the pillow snuff thing came from ages ago reading uh, Ken Kesey's novel, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And I kind of remember the impact it had on me when I'm like, what? These people are almost like family, right? And um, and it was kind of an act of compassion in that book. I wouldn't say that's the case here. Um, it was kind of an act of compassion, but it, it just stayed with me. And I was like, oh, that's a, a crazy moment. But I think in the book, there are some nastier things referred to but we don't see them you know it's it's not graphic or anything it might be talked about or you discover something that happened in the past um but it's not so in your face yeah
0: Mm -hmm. and the um the experience of helping to birth a calf you that's a, a personal experience
1: that is, um, that's the reason I'm a teacher. So, um, so that experience, plus, um, I had the, the opportunity of helping my uncle with slaughter one year, uh, slaughtering cattle. And those two things together made me decide I really need to learn how to study and get scholarships so that um, I can go to university. I'm from a pretty poor family and uh the you know I'm the fifth of five kids. So not a lot of money left by the time number five came around. So if I didn't get scholarships, that was the life I was going to have. And uh I just thought anything else.
0: <laughs> That's some really real motivation.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> that'll that'll push you like nothing else. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so worse than childbirth.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> More blood. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's probably. All right. Um now we only have a couple of people who have joined with us. I don't know if if either of you have a question for Ace or a comment. If you don't that's okay. Um but we Yeah, will- I
2: do. Are oh, you able to yeah. hear me?
0: Yes. I can. Yeah. Hey.
2: Fantastic. Um, this has been great. Thanks so much. I'm on my wife's laptop. The audio didn't work for the first 10 minutes and the video is definitely not working. The laptop's older than I am, I think. So uh, (laughs) I I was was able to hear your story though. Wonderful story. So thanks for, for, for doing this very interested in your, in your book and your process. Thanks for explaining the characters a bit, a a very simple question up first, the title, where did the title come from? It's such a, it drew me in probably more than the image drew me in was, What's a killing jar and how do I make one and yeah where did that come from
1: Yeah the um the the title story it's kind of closer to the center of the book it's probably the longest short story um it's called the killing jar but it's the jar you use to snuff a butterfly if you're a collector so there's a little bit of chemical that you put on a cloth and you drop the living butterfly in there and it kind of kills it, but preserves it in good shape. So it happens pretty quickly. And uh, so that, that butterfly image is used as a motif in that story. And then also, um, I had a the epigraph at the beginning of the book. It says, we delight in the beauty of the butterfly, but we rarely admit the changes it's gone through to achieve that beauty. And uh, that's a quotation from, um, Maya Angelou. So it's sort of like we don't talk about the rough stuff that led to the butterfly and I showed that quotation and we decided, oh, it's kind of, that's kind of true for most of the stories in this collection. So that butterfly image is on the cover. It's in the epigraph. It's in that story used as a motif. And thanks to Elena, it's in these beautiful little butterfly images of the titles of the stories and whatnot throughout the book. So yeah, so the killing jar has a huge impact on it.
2: okay, very very uh, good. Thanks for explaining that. Ah, uh, thank you. Well, just curious to I just have one other question then I guess, and then I'll <laughs> turn turn it over to someone else. Um just the length of time. Um, like thirteen short stories seems like quite a feat. Uh, I I dabble in short story writing myself, but um, I, it would take me years and years to get a collection of thirteen. So is this is was this a multi-year long process for you, and and what did that involve?
1: Yeah, I think like any story that's beyond. 12 years old didn't make it here because I don't think the craft was very good it was like okay I learned a few things over the years but so the oldest story that I still think is the best one is uh The Killing Jar and that's that's about a dozen years old um and then everything else is newer than that and the collection about half of the stories are things that were published or placed in contests, or one contest, and then about half of them are things that were fairly new and not out there yet. Um, so it's kind of half, half, half fresh and and half from before. Uh, but I probably have I don't know another twenty stories hanging out that that just weren't weren't for this book. Um, and uh, so, I, short stories, um, I I can uh, I don't have trouble completing those. Talk to me about novels. That's a different conversation. <laughs> but uh, right, how about you? So what? Yeah, no worries.
0: Ali, did you just take your mic, your mute off? Yeah, I just have uh, just one question. Um, how did oh. you decide what stories to include? Like, is there kind of a theme that you had in mind, or?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of these stories. Very often, there's someone pushed into a situation, they normally wouldn't act on themselves. So it's kind of a build up, because of the condition they're in, they take action, but normally, they're not that kind of person, uh, or it's not their world. And so very often, when I thought about uh, the stories that made it into this collection, it was like, what does it take to push someone to the limit, and uh, there was actually a show on TV, and I can't remember the gentleman in it, but uh, he was sort of like a psychologist, hypnotist, you name it, and he had, it was called The Push. And so the, the film was about getting people to say yes to tiny things over time, so they would trust you more and more. And his ultimate goal was to get someone to actually push another human being off a skyscraper. And uh, this was what this show was about, and it was fascinating, and I that just kind of stuck in my head. Um, I was like, oh, I have many stories where someone's in a position they wouldn't choose for themselves, and they're forced to act. So, so there's a wide variety, but that would be something that would run maybe as a thread through a lot of the stories here. Yeah, yeah, glad you asked that question. Never thought about that one.
0: I would like to ask one last question. I'm just pulling this right out of your book club um, guide, just yep. because I I'm very curious to know your opinion on this. In two of your stories, The Killing Jar and and I'm going to say this wrong, Manos Coca Mac Cow. How'd I do? Yep.
1: Very good. <laughs> okay, that's awesome.
0: So there's yep. one one Japanese character, and the, and the other there's Colombian characters. So you are a white man. Yeah. Writers include people of different ethnicities as major characters in their work. They are often accused of cultural appropriation. If they don't include any type of major character of a different ethnicity in their work, they could be called racist. So I'd love to obviously you've used those characters. So we kind of know your opinion already, but I'd love to know um, if you have some more thoughts about about that that tricky balance and and how how to navigate that. Do you have advice for writers? Do you have what do you think?
1: <laughs> I always think you write the story that needs to be written. So if something catches your eye, um for the Colombian story, there was a news article that caught my eye and basically basically the gangsters of the area were trying to push farmers off their land. So they had fields to grow cocaine. And that was Kind of like a little bit of nastiness and I've seen similar things in other places. So it kind of stuck in the brain. And uh, for the Japanese one, uh, we live in B.C. where there were Japanese uh, internment camps. And uh, so that often gets taught in our school curriculum. And um, it's a little maybe dark spot in our history here. So, again, that was kind of picking away at me. But here's the tough part. If I send those stories out to a literary journal, chances are nobody touches them from a white cis male. However, I put those into writing contests. They both won two different writing contests that they were entered in because they're judged blindly. Well, at that point, people have kind of said, well, the writing quality is of a certain level. And yes, these are our winners. So it gives a little bit of street cred to the writing, I guess, and then finds publication a different way. So I think if you find yourself in that position, kind of have an eye to to writing contests that might be a way for those pieces to get out there. I will tell you there are many literary journals out there that if they discriminate against one group of people that they won't take writing from right now. It's cis males, males who identify as males, white cis males. So um, I do come across that uh, from time to time. And, um, and I mean, it's very important to get underrepresented uh, voices out there. So I get it. We're kind of evening the playing field, Uh, but it can be can be tough. Um, I find it a little crazy that a writer could set a story in New York having never been there. They can do the research. They can find the sites. They can make the details as careful as they they want them to be. Uh, one of my stories is in New York, and Alana was checking the streets and checking the details uh, on this one area to see if there would be um, foot traffic or cars or, or whatnot there so if you can be expected to get the details right for a setting or for something you don't know how to do um you know another short story i didn't put into this collection is called smoke jumping and i don't know anything about smoke jumping and but i can research and i can talk to people who do it and i can find out about the equipment you need to do that so i find it kind of crazy that they can expect writers to do their research for other things but not for a character. Um, There's people all over the place you can find out about. And if I make mistakes, I own them. You know, I'm not trying to um, be a voice for another culture, and I'm not trying to pull down another culture in any way, shape, or form. If I put them in a story and there's conflict in that story, all stories have conflict. Um, It's because I needed that character for that story it wasn't just let's toss in a you know a character who's from an underrepresented population it was like i needed that one for this story so um uh, for menos coca um for that one my original thought was i want a poison tree frog a golden poison tree frog as a murder weapon i want it so Hello, Google. Where do those come from? Columbia. Okay, great. I don't want that poison tree frog to be out in the bushes, out in the wild, because that's not where I picture this story being set. I picture it on a farmland, and it's not going to be on the farm anywhere. Where would be a place that would have one close to farmland? And Google spits out Oh, there's a, a little reserve in um, Choco, Colombia, uh, that has them inside there as a tourist attraction. Okay, boom! I could have my character break in there and take one from there. So, so it's like I need that in order for the story to work the way I want it to work. It's never gratuitous, I guess. There's a purpose. Yeah. So I think. Don't, don't go lightly on it if you, but if you have a story, don't be afraid to write the story. If it can't get out there one way, contests are a good way for it to get attention sometimes. Yeah. And for people to say nice things if they like it.
0: (laughs) That's a great answer. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we are um, a couple minutes away from filling out the hour, which is great. There we go. Um, Do you have any last words before we, before we sign off?
1: Uh, Write. Just write, write, write. Uh, I think even if you're a reader, put those stories down. Get the journal out. Do a little bit each day. Something occurs to you. Put a few words down. See where it leads. So I think that goes for readers, writers, teachers, students, uh, anyone. Uh, Try to get that little journal out that you can kind of do something in regularly. The creative wheels get turning if you have a place to go uh, to do it in. So yeah, that's my encouragement for everyone.
0: Great. I love that. Um, and buy the book.
1: <laughs> and buy the book. <laughs> buy the book. is such a look at that book. Come on.
0: It's,
1: <laughs> that's lovely.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing this, Ace, for taking the time. Thank you for you guys who've come to support him and listen. You're a great audience. And um, yes, buy the book. Leave reviews tell your friends, like what, whatever, um, whatever you can do to help support ACE in this venture. And ACE, good luck with your workbook stuff, getting connected with the teachers. I know you're already like in that world, but um, yep. still getting things into, like if it could get into curriculum or something, that would be amazing. So that's my big hope for you is that you break into the BC curriculum and then Canada and then North America Very nice. and the world. Very like, let's, Let's make you down. rich.
1: <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you know, like I say, I think there's a lot of good stuff in the book. It's a book I do believe in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Me too. I'm very proud of it. I'm very pleased to be able to partner with you on it and so happy every time I know someone, someone's buying a copy. I think that that's, that's wonderful. And I, and I, I know it's going to spark great discussion and I really hope that book clubs do reach out to you to do, to invite you into, into Zooms because I know you're open to that um you um, do have really thoughtful questions in the back of the book to to guide book clubs so i it can just be a great tool all around for for building community for building the skills of, of a writer I, it's it's a powerful little gift that you've given the world and i i hope the world appreciates it well thanks for that
1: thanks for that we'll 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 do our best here <laughs>
0: okay all right. well thank thanks you talking so everyone folks
2: thank you for hosting yes. thank
0: you so much thank you for being here have a great i guess it's afternoon for you ace it's evening yep. to the <laughs> rest <of us>.
1: yeah <laughs> oh, yeah i'm looking at about four o'clock there yeah
0: yeah yeah all right well take care everyone and um we'll we'll do things like this again with with other writers other authors maybe we'll have some panel discussions i don't know um that'd be cool but we'll we'll make plans
1: Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you for putting in the time. Yep. Of course,
0: of course. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You can support ACE by picking up your own copy of How to Make a Killing Jar. It is available through chickenhousepress.ca, as well as Amazon Worldwide, uh, Barnes & Noble, Chapters Indigo, Any online bookseller, you should be able to order it. Your independent bookstores, it's also available for Kindle, Kobo, Nook, Apple Books. Really, any venue you want to access this book, it is there. So please show Ace your support. Grab this book, learn something, use it in your book club. The book club guide is really valuable and will spark some great discussions. So if you'd like to do that, please do and reach out. Let us know how it goes. We'd love to hear from you. Happy reading.